It's been quite a while since we've done a Table Scraps, but welcome and thank you for downloading this edition of Table Scraps, the internet exclusive edition of Table Talk Radio. I have a special guest in studio today. That's uh, Pastor Eric Brown. He's pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Lahoma, Oklahoma. Pastor Brown, thank you for joining us in the Table Talk Radio Studios. Thank you, although I have to uh, admonish you for lying, calling me a, a special guest. It's kind of a, <laughs> a disappointment to your audience, I'm sure. But <laughs> They're on the edge of their seats. Oh, Eric Brown. Oh, great. No, it's like <laughs> I got the Blue Ribbon Award for participation. Yay. <laughs> Careful with that blue ribbon there. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're, we're talking today on Table Scraps about pastoral care, and y- you were talking to me, Pastor, earlier about how a lot of people just don't even know what pastoral care is available. I mean, sometimes pastors maybe get, uh, I don't know if frustrated is the right way, but they want to help their people in any way they can, but people don't know what ways that is. One of the things that comes up often is, especially with uh, a young pastor new to a, a congregation, or even a new pastor, by young I mean out of the seminary, is... Pastors have gone, seminarians go through such intense training, and and they get exposed to so much theology that when they get out back into a normal parish, they can forget what the people there may know, or more to the point, may not know, may not have experienced. Depending on what pastors were there beforehand, private confession may be a completely foreign concept. Um, uh, When I showed up, I said, I'm going to do matins every day. That was a completely foreign concept to people. The idea of of daily corporate devotional life, the idea of of private confession was strange. And a lot of even things that, that we take for granted as being part and parcel of what we're about in a church, depending on where you're at, that may be common or it may be uncommon. So a lot of what will come up is introducing these concepts to the people in your congregation. Okay, so what... Um, advice would you have maybe for some random vicar or uh, <laughs> or seminarian who is maybe engrossed in the, the great theological study and maybe not seeing the future of, of the parish life? What, what you need to remember is when you're learning, remember and appreciate the fact that you've been learning. Um, we can, and, and this is just one of the tendencies, we can push back our knowledge further than we have it. If we, if we have knowledge now, we can assume that that's something that we've always known. And I guess, I guess more, uh, remember how patient your professors had to be with you and your teachers <laughs> had to be with you, and, and then give that same patience to your, your own people, especially when you, when you have to remember as a, a student, you're in intense training with your people, you might get them for an hour or two a week instead of 15, 20 hours a week. And that's going to, to change some of the, the expectations that you need to have on that with, uh, with your people. Pastor, I can actually uh, relate to just that starting just here about a month in my, my uh, vicarage here. Go, watching, observing pastor do Bible study and um, uh, seeing how he relates with the people. This isn't you know, seminary where you sit down at your lunch dinner and with your friends and you're talking about, you know, some of the theological things that you, you, you encounter. Mm-hmm. A lot of, of, of pastoral care is just visiting with your people about the things that interest them mm-hmm. and which has nothing to do with the Bible sometimes. 
one of the things that that a lot of people expect from a pastor or when they think of the pastor they don't necessarily think of a theologian um for good or for ill a lot of what we have today in our understanding of what a pastor is is the idea of pastor as counselor pastor as sounding board pastor as one who's going to give advice whether or not that advice is actually scriptural or theological or or I had a Mormon come to my door. How do I respond? Well, sometimes it's just, I don't know what to do with, with this. Things that work are going slow. And part of what a pastor does is is teach folks that, to see that in all things there is a, a theological component. We we don't just do the church for an hour on Sunday, but, but who we are as Christians, who we are in Christ, impacts everything. And you can't just walk up and say, well, don't you see everything that, that happens is impacted by Christ, well, no, they haven't learned to, to see that way. And that's not necessarily a uh, a statement against folks who don't see this. I, I'm sure you have, uh, well, I, I'm assuming that you have folks who listen to this who aren't in seminary. I, I'd be lucky to have anyone listen to but, but yeah, 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 more, more than your, well, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, we're always growing. That That's that's the, the, the condition of being a human being. In fact, as a as pastors, you need to continue to to grow, and so, but just be aware of of the fact that people aren't going to be at the same place in their growth where you are. So you can't necessarily expect them to to see things the way you do right away. You have to rather guide and grow and and instruct them where they're at. Speaking of these kind of the- theological discussions. That you have this seminar. I remember just not too long ago with some of my friends um, about the cross that, that, that we receive, and and so the, the question came up: Well, does does suffering like if you were to get cancer, um, is, is is that a cross? And and some of my friends would say no. I mean, Christian or non-Christian alike both get cancer, so you can't really consider that a cross. And um, I guess I was I was really. Uh, because you know, cross being something that that we receive from being a Christian, and, and I guess I was really stuck on that. But but one thing that I heard a pastor say that really kind of clicked in for me was was when when he said that the thing though when when a when a when a Christian goes through those things, he always has the devil telling him that this must be because God doesn't love him, or mm-hmm. yeah, so, so there is that. And so I I could see how. Someone who maybe just got the the cancer diagnosis comes into your office, and isn't maybe isn't necessarily looking for the the theological implication, but that is what you bring them in mm-hmm. in that situation. Right, and and what will happen with that is your your goal is to bring the theological perspective, but you can't necessarily just start off right there, because uh, a lot of times, and this sounds very strange, but when people will come to you as a pastor, they aren't thinking theologically right off the bat. You need to get where they're at, basically hold their hand and then lead them to the theological point. And one of the things that can be – it's almost like if you tell a joke that you know and your friends have, have jokes that you know and you can just tell the punchline. Because when you tell the punchline, oh, okay, I remember that joke. That's great. Well, not everyone's always ready for it the punchline i just compared good theology to punchline <laughs> but uh but but it's that that same idea you you need to have that that right build up you need to take people through uh through the 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 steps to get there you can't take the the shortcuts and a lot of times 
if you are into theology, you can jump to the conclusion. If uh, or or even let's say you're you're a, a layman who knows the the benefits of confession and absolution. Well, not everyone else at your congregation probably does. So if you want to talk to them and say, you know, you might want to go to pastor for confession and absolution, unless they know why and what benefits that brings, and and it's going to be a foreign idea. So you need to, uh, whoever you are, you need to make an explanation of of uh, what benefits, why why this theological idea applies to this situation that the person isn't that you're talking to. Describe to me what it's like. I mean, I imagine uh, you know coming out of a seminary or be, being a, a, a brand new pastor in the parish. Uh, what is it like when? When here you are, you've gone through seminary. You're ready to, to teach your your Bible class, and you, you're pick the the topic on your on one of your favorite topics in theology. You, you work really hard in your study all week to prepare for this Bible class, and you get there, you know, Saturday night or whenever the, the study's supposed to be, and three people show up, and, and it seems that your people don't share <laughs> your same enthusiasm for your favorite theological topic as you do. Well, uh, again, with that, you, you need to moderate your expectations and that that's the biggest key um there's always going to be a sense of let's try out the new let's try out let's see what's going on and then things more whittle away so it's less that that first time that that's dangerous because three people are listening that's kind of cool <laughs> but it, it's that's it, what we're like on table talk radio right. all the time <laughs> but but it but it's when you you get to like that fifth or sixth session and well now there's only three people now there's only two people or oh well this week no one made um i know i did a, a history study and it was great well received there were 15 people come to it which was almost as much as i was getting on sunday morning bible study but then just as life happened for other people it dwindled to where it was seven or eight well what does that mean does that mean it's a fountain well no it's you you have to provide you speak god's word to people in season and out of season and sometimes it's going to seem like it's out of season that doesn't mean that that what's going on is a failure it just means you continue to speak the word to those who wish to hear it yeah, and and that, that's sort of I imagine every pastor's great temptation is to uh, see success in terms of numbers to see okay well I you know I'm seeing improvement I've got twenty percent more people at church uh, now than I did a year ago mm-hmm. so there, therefore I'm a successful pastor um, but reiterate again what is the mark then of a successful if you can use that word pastor or, or how do we know when a pastor is doing what he is called to do. You know a pastor is doing what he's called to do when the gospel is preached and the sacraments are administered. It's as simple as that. It, it's very dangerous, especially as a pastor, to give lip service to the, the explanation to the third article of the creed and then completely forget about it. Because what do we say in the third article? I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. And the same thing is true for the entire church. But then when we see people taking advantage of God's word, of of living out their, their lives as Christians, we want to start taking credit for it. Well, well they, they come to this Bible study because I'm such a wonderful teacher, or, or they'll, uh, they'll uh, come to church more often because I'm fantastic. And the, the temptation then can be to, to make yourself the focus. 
So really, I'd say don't look for marks. Don't look for evidence. Don't look for results. Rather, tend to what you're doing. Uh, and this is true for, for all aspects of, of the Christian life, not just for pastors who are preaching, but for the farmer who farms, for the businessman who does business. You cannot control the results. Uh, a farmer cannot control what his yield is going to be. He can farm as he ought. A businessman can't control whether or not someone's going to buy his product. He can only do what he should be doing rightly. And so rather than looking at results, and, and we're a results-driven culture. I'm a baseball fan. I love looking at stats. That's results. Rather, what you have to do is look and say, am I preaching God's word as it should be preached? Am I, am I encouraging? Am I offering often the sacrament? And then go from that and leave things in God's hands. And that's the hardest thing to do. Because fundamentally, Christians are still sinful folks and still want to be in control. We want to be our we want to be God in the sense that we want things to go the way we want them and and to be focused upon ourselves. Sin is being curved in on yourself. And that's the temptation for pastors as well. Um Luther wrote a, a prayer that I end up praying before my sermons that I preach. And one of the paragraphs in it is, then, um, if anything should happen, not to my glory or to the praise of men, but simply grant me a right understanding of thy word, because I need it too. And that's that, that humility that, that we always need to, to work on. Because if we have success, Satan can say, oh, look how wonderful you are. And if we don't have success, Satan can say, look how terrible you are. When really it has nothing to do at all with us, it should always be about Christ. What do I care if I'm wonderful? It's about Christ. What do I care if I'm terrible? It's about Christ. Satan always tries to shift the focus away from Christ and onto the individual. Well, maybe in that same vein, uh, something that I've been thinking about as of late, and uh, see what uh, your comment on this is, but it inevitably comes when uh, in, in the uh, receiving line after church, and everyone says, uh, "Good, good pastor," or excuse me, "Good sermon, pastor." That was that was that was, that was really great. And and, uh, and of course, as, as a vicar, I think that uh, people readily. Uh, offer you that compliment because you are, you know, a student, and 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 I, and I really do appreciate that those words. But there is almost a danger that that comes along with that. There, that if uh, in your sermon preparation you feel that uh, people, you know, like your style of preaching, um, or you know, your charisma in the pulpit or or something like that, then that there is a, a grave danger that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. Um. In a certain extent, I, to a certain extent, I almost don't like hearing the comment "good sermon." If it just stops there, I want to hear why it was a good sermon. If it was, you know, I hadn't thought about that part of the gospel before. Okay, that's great. But sometimes good sermon can just be can come across as almost the well. I should say something polite, or it could be even what are they focusing on? What are they paying attention to in the sermon? Is it is it my my charming delivery style, mm-hmm. or is it? Or is it the 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 content thereof? And, and one of the things is to to neither get too high or too low when you when you hear that. Take take compliments for what they are. And also, um, one of the useful things for a, a young pastor or for any pastor is to find some folks in the congregation whom you like, whom you trust, who can act as sounding boards. What did you learn from the sermon today? Uh, the the best compliment I ever got in a sermon was from uh, my secretary whose daughter was in confirmation class. And we were just talking about some stuff in the office. And she goes, you know, 
my daughter noted da-da-da-da-da from the sermon. And that was much better, much more uh, affirming to me than, than any 15, oh, that was a really good sermon right. pastor could be. Now, on the other hand, if you don't hear good sermon vicar, don't suddenly say, oh, no, I'm doing terrible. Because actually, if you do, this is my, my theory, but if you do a really good sermon, they're not going to be thinking about what a good sermon it was. They're going to be thinking about, oh, well, this, this, and that from the sermon. Mm-hmm. So, I, I remember one time uh, I was uh, invited um, as a seminarian to 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 preach at a, a local church, and and uh, I was I was preaching on uh, it was the day of Pentecost actually, and uh, and so I was preaching on how how we know the um, the the voice of the Spirit because the the Spirit always points to Christ. We we ha- we know that for sure. And so what I was trying to say in the sermon <laughs> was that, that, that when we hear teachers or preachers uh, preach and teach, we know if, if, they're, if they're a Christian because they're glorifying God. And so that was, that was the point I was trying to get across. Now, in the receiving <laughs> line, uh, one of the, the sweet mothers of the church said, um, that's great. I can use it on my son now. Are you, what you're saying, glorifying God? And that's, that isn't what I meant by <laughs> right. that, that you can use it as a, a way to rebuke your children. <laughs> so that there is it was an art to making sure, and this is hard to do, mm-hmm. to be absolutely clear in what you're saying so it can't be misconstrued. Well, and a lot of that will come, and, and the situation which you're in where you're a guest preaching at a seminary, uh, a congregation, makes it really hard because you don't know the people. You don't know where they're at, absolutely. what they've gone through. And, and this goes back to the, the initial top idea of, of – pastoral care you have to adapt to the people where they're at and depending on what history they've had what what ideas have been percolating in the congregation your words might sound like something else entirely or they might latch on to one aspect and run with it in a way you aren't expecting mm-hmm. which is why uh doing the whole guest preacher thing can be an incredibly hard and and dubious uh, affair there's a reason why god in his wisdom has said I want congregations to have pastors and not just randomly have wandering people come on in and say, blah, 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 and then go off because drive-bys just don't – drive-by theology doesn't work well. Right, yeah. Well, and it, like you said, it goes right along with what you were saying, that that uh, yeah, especially for, for a seminarian to come in and do <laughs> – that's a double whammy. <laughs> but uh, so and, and as you – yeah, how, how long have you been at, at Zion now? Just over five years. Just over five years. So in these these past five years, uh, what have you been able to do at Zion to to try and teach the people that um, this is uh, what a pastor can offer by way of of pastoral care? A, a lot of what it's done is just repeated offering, and uh, the the thing that I've seen come up more often. The, the first one that I was adamant was hospital visits. Uh, people, I, I, I don't know whether it was just shyness or the we don't want to bother pastor, um, but they, they wouldn't let me know when they were going to the hospital. I, I'd find out on Sunday, oh, yeah, I had done, I had this done. And finally I said, I actually said in the announcement, I said, if I find out that you've been in the hospital and I haven't heard anything, I will be angry. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would give people a hard time. If someone forgot, I'd give them a hard time. I, I would tease them. And granted, in a good-natured way, I was sure. Yeah, yeah. But – and just being adamant and, and then showing up and doing things um, in terms of hospital visits. 
beating people to the hospital when they had surgeries and just being with them, giving them the prayer beforehand. And, and once you tell people you can do something and then you do it, they're going to let other people know because there, there is that. When, when you provide a, a, a comfort from God and someone says, you know, I, I remember going to the hospital before and I was completely nervous. And then, you know, pastor was there and, and we prayed and things were, it was much less nerve wracking beforehand. Well, when their friend Betty is going to be having a surgery, then they'll say, well, you know, you really should let pastor know. It'll, it'll go better for you that way. So a lot of times it's just making the suggestion over and over and over again and then doing it and then letting word of mouth. Oh, yeah. We we, we sometimes think word of mouth is a strange idea, but isn't that how anything with the gospel actually works? We're we're all mouthers. Okay, that was beautifully (laughs) elegant. But but the gospel is a a spoken thing, and, and it's not always just a, well, look at this wonderful thing, but rather, you know, this happened to me. It's good for me. It will be good for you. That That's the heart of how evangelism happens, whether it's teaching people who don't know the gospel at all or letting those who know the gospel, who are in the church, understand more fully the benefits of other other aspects of pastoral care. I, I remember one time um, there was a... Uh, a family member that was that was in the hospital, and my pastor offered, you know, do you want me to to visit this person in the hospital? And I was like, this person is even a member of the church, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was something he was willing to do. And uh, you're right. I mean, just just see that that modeled in the church to know that that pastor is willing to to visit people that are close to me that aren't even members of the church, but to, to have an opportunity to share God's word with them um, in this moment of distress, in this moment of anxiety, when you you're not sure what's going to happen through the surgery. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to see that modeled kind of creates uh, a comfort or a, um, a a confidence in asking your pastor or telling your pastor, hey, I'm going into the hospital for surgery on Monday. Well, and one of the things, too, and this is more for, I guess, would-be pastors, <laughs> is to remember is you can't tell where a congregation's going to have its weaknesses. And all congregations do. Every congregation needs to grow. The people in congregations need to grow, and that's going to be true of, of all times and all places. And you can't expect where they're going to be weak. I know when I, when I uh, was going through the seminary, I was prepared to do the fight on open communion, how open communion is wrong, we should be closed, da-da-da-da-da. Given my background, my history, the fact that half my family's in the, the ELCA, I, I am, I'm gung-ho for get to my congregation never an issue in fact it's more the the people are, are when when someone shows up they're like we're if we're having communion you need to talk to the pastor didn't have to fight that battle at all but i wasn't expecting to have to like bend arms to find out when people were going to the hospital mm-hmm. so you you can't you can't necessarily predict what areas of pastoral care you're going to need to focus on but you need to to be there evaluate and then teach people with patience and persistence over the the benefits as as um as you as you've been a a passion the past five years if you don't mind sharing and and if you're not comfortable that's fine as well Uh, but what has been maybe one of the the struggles that you've encountered from the pastoral office point of view Um, what's what's been maybe something as you went through something didn't really see this this being a hardship but when you got in the parish it certainly became such i think with that 
Um, ooh, that's a good question. I think one of the things that, that has gotten me more is the the question of how quickly to push something, that, to, to introduce something that is a good custom that hasn't necessarily been the custom at the congregation. How much do you teach before you introduce? Because I don't want to, as a pastor, you don't want to throw something at someone too quickly where they go, ah, oh, that's a horrible idea, and suddenly they have the idea, this is horrible, when the idea hadn't even crossed our mind. Um, and so there is, you can get angsty over, when do I broach a topic? In fact, I know just yesterday at Bible study again, uh, we ended up talking about every Sunday communion. We don't do that yet. I think that'd be a great thing. And yesterday, when it finally came up, when someone asked a question about, well, why don't we do it? I finally said, I think it's a great idea, and we ought to. And I left it at that, simply because I don't want to be the one to, this is, we, Augsburg Confession says we do this. We, ought to, we have to do this. But rather have it be where more people are finally saying, this is something that's good. We should do this. And that way it it comes out in a way that should. But then on the other hand, well, am I dallying? I've been there five years. I've been teaching. They should know this by now. Oh, I don't know. And a lot of times the, the biggest thing with pastoral care is just self-doubt about how you're going about it. And the key for that is, one, just remember, be faithful, say things that are true and honest, not to hurt people, not to, well, gabs, if you guys were good little Lutherans, you'd be doing this already. No, that's the history of where they're at. But also to to not be afraid to talk to the other pastors in your circuit, other pastors in the area, because, one, if they've been there, they'll probably have a feel for the area. And two, they'll tell you similar war stories and you'll be encouraged. Because, hmm. again, Satan tries to isolate. the Part of the, 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 the Christian life is that you are united to Christ and thereby with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And Satan will want you to feel isolated and alone with, with the burden of the world upon your shoulders, forgetting that Christ took up that burden upon the cross. And so the, the hardest part of, of approaching pastoral care, I think, as a pastor is we say it's pastoral care, but who really is the, the, the true pastor, the true shepherd? It's Christ, and, and you give out Christ's care. You're, as, as a pastor, you're a middleman. You're, you're just passing on what Christ has given to you to do. And when you can forget that and start putting the focus on what you yourself have to do as the pastor, well, no, that, that's too much burden for anyone to bear. Uh, again, that, that Luther prayer that I like, Luther sacristy prayer, it starts off, you know how unworthy I am of this office and ministry. But as the people need to be te- taught, uh, you sent me here. So help me do it. That that functions as a, a great reminder of of what's going on and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that that God has called men into this office, but if it, it isn't by uh, the man's, um, I, I would even say ability, uh, man's own um, virtue, but rather by, by God's gifts, you, just using this simple instrument to distribute his gifts. When we think of Moses, we, we, we think, when we think of Moses, we, we tend to think of, wow, what a wonderful prophet, powerful man of God, brilliant preacher, because I can't talk. Make my <laughs> brother talk for me. I mean, when, when, when you look at, at all of the, the, the examples in Scripture of, of the men who preach God's word, you see flawed people. 
And and that's the simple fact. We're all sinners whom God puts into uh, an office to speak God's word, whether it's publicly as a pastor or whether it's privately as a as a father or mother teaching their children or or a neighbor speaking to a neighbor. God uses flawed people. One of my uh, person a year ahead of me at the seminary had this great phrase. I thought it was really witty. We were at the point in talking about how Wisconsin has a functional view of the ministry. And uh, he brought up, you know what? I I think there's a dysfunctional view of the ministry. God uses <laughs> dysfunctional people to get his ministry done. Like and and that, that really does get to that 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 heart and of of the fact that it really is God's church. He's the one who founds it. And I, I think especially for Americans where we're so focused on hard work and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and if you want something, go out and do it yourself. It can be really hard for us as Americans to remember that it's not I who do things, but Christ who lives within me. And even for pastors, for whom that should be obvious, uh, even for farmers who it should be most – no one should be better Christians than farmers because a farmer is acutely aware of, I can do everything I want, but if I don't get rain, nothing's going to grow. That's the same way everything is in the church, and yet we can forget it and we can we – can. well, Satan wants us to forget it. He wants us to be focused on our anxieties and our fears and to forget the things that make for peace. Uh, maybe from now from the parishioner's point of view, mm-hmm. um, they, they get a new pastor in, and the pastor's, you know, preaches preaches Christ, but he doesn't have those social skills. He doesn't have the personality that I'm used to. He, uh, you know, he doesn't, you know, greet me with a great hello when I walk in. He, you know, he's kind, but just not what I'm used to. Um, what do you say to a parishioner like that? Just remember that Pastor Gagline is a complete and utter nerd, and you shouldn't expect him to be as awesome and cool as, as a pastor like Pastor Wolfmuller or something like that. Well, no, but I say that jokingly, but but one of the things that, that can be forgotten, and in some ways it's a good thing, is that our pastors are individual people with individual talents. I mean, we do a lot of things to hide the pastor. We have pastors wear a uniform. So you see the office. You have the pastor wear an alb to, to cover the individual. And when it comes to the preaching of the gospel, the, the individual must decrease. As John the Baptist says, I must decrease that he may increase. That, that, that's the goal. But a lot of times when we look at our pastor, we look at them over and above and beyond the one who speaks the word, but also that, that individual. And what I'd encourage anyone to remember is to remember that, that your pastor— isn't the pastor you had before? Because oftentimes when we do that comparison, it's it's to the pastor before. I know I got things that uh, my predecessor, wonderfully kind man, things that that he did well that I don't do well. It's just our difference in personalities, and and partially God provides for congregations what they need. It it, it might be that that my congregation needs my talents more so than they needed Pastor Gables at this current time, and then whoever comes after me. God will use them and their unique talents there. So I'd, I'd encourage folks to remember that, that God will use the talents of your pastor for what that congregation, what your congregation needs at that time. And also uh, to, to be diligent and see what, what unique things that they can bring. If you're, if you're, if you're wanting to, to get into the person of who your pastor is, don't go with the expectations that they're going to be just like the ones before, but rather see what things they bring in unique. I'm the cooking pastor. I cook all the time. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't expect the pastor who comes after me to cook 
meals for the congregation. That's something that I do. And I would hate to think that that because the congregation would say, oh, well, they doesn't cook like Pastor Brown used to, that they would neglect to see that he does a radio show or tries to do a radio show <laughs> or, or something like Everyone has unique talents, and sometimes we, we, we have our, our perception of what we think the pastor should be. And there are certain things that we should expect from our pastor, but some of our, our images of what the pastor should be go above and beyond what a pastor fundamentally is. And then we can end up judging against a pastor on that basis, and we can do, and pastors can do the same thing for parishioners. So right, yeah. Uh, and lastly, Pastor Brown, uh, uh, what is at then the heart and center of pastoral care? The heart and center of pastoral care. Uh, where is it? It's in Hebrews, where it says, "Come, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the Author and Perfecter of our faith, the Beginner of our faith, and the One who brings about to completion." And the heart of pastoral care is teaching people to see Christ at all times. When you're in a crisis, you don't want to see, you don't necessarily default to look to the cross. You need to bring people that way. And you can't just necessarily hold up a cross in front of them because they think you're like <laughs> performing an exorcism on or, or something. <laughs> but, but you need to, to teach them to start thinking and viewing things theologically, thinking to, to look at things in view of the cross. And that's the heart of pastoral care. And that's the heart of pastoral care for pastors themselves. That's the way that they need to evaluate themselves. How am I presenting the cross to people? How am I presenting Christ to people? Um, the the old Lutheran Hour tagline, bringing Christ to the nations, is a wonderful ideal. That That's the standard. Are you bringing Christ to the people? Are you showing them Christ crucified for them? That's the heart. Well, thank you for coming in today. Oh, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to Table Scraps. And uh, you can also, Pastor Brown, you, you should know that we uh, have this forum on our website at tabletalkradio.org, and people can actually chat about particular episodes. And so you might you know, log on and find some people talking bad about, or good about, you know, whatever. <laughs> but that's on our website. It's at- not nearly <laughs> as winsome as I'd want a pastor to be. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening to Table Scraps. We'll see you next time.